Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today, although I, I can't quit saying that, but I'm not going to because I don't want it to lose that sense. It's good to be with you uh, because you matter. And because we matter. Uh, We've been going through this series, uh, Know and Be Known. We've been talking about the pathway here at Highland. And one of the metaphors that that we're using is this idea of the labyrinth, this kind of ancient uh, Christian spiritual tradition where you would walk in this maze and you don't really get anywhere because you end up only about 20 or 30 feet from where you started. But in the course of walking that maze, you do the kind of self-reflection and evaluation. You do those kind of breath prayers that bring you down to a place of peace. You allow your troubles to drop off one step after another even though you don't go very far, the journey, it, it changes you. And so I want to spend just a minute thinking and talking together about what the pathway is and what the pathway does. Because I think up until this moment, the way we've been talking about this is kind of an individualistic experience of how you engage God and how you engage others and how you get to know yourself and then ultimately how you empty yourself out for the sake of others. But really, the pathway is how you're a part of this church. If, if you want to know what Highland is and what Highland does, look at the pathway. If you want to know how to become a part of us, if you want to be a, a member, for lack of a better term, of what Highland is doing in this world, then look at the pathway. We're using this framework as a, as a filter for us to decide between the good and the best, because oftentimes the good is the enemy of the best. And if you keep saying yes to good, then you, you don't have any space and margin left over to, lo- to say yes to the best. And so what we're doing is we're using the pathway as a means to say, what has God called us to do so that we can say yes when the time is right to God? And so if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, if you want to be a part of this church, Walk the pathway. Miroslav Volth is kind of a, a real popular theologian. And he gave a talk a, a few, a little while ago. And he, was, he was talking to other theologians. And I get the sense from what he was saying, he was kind of having like one of those inside talks where they are allowed to throw rocks at each other and nobody else is really allowed to do that. And so, but I, I gained some fascinating things from what he said. He began by talking about theology as, as public discourse. And he mentioned that the Harvard Divinity School, one of the oldest divinity schools in America, was in the process of finding a new president for that part of Harvard. And the, the big president of Harvard came and said to them, you know, if we were doing this whole thing again, if we were making a new Harvard, I don't know if we would include a divinity school. Which at first kind of rubbed Volth the wrong way. Because he's a theologian. That's, that's his job. 
But then he kind of reflected on American academics and on, on some level right now, the, the hottest part, the, the best part of, of academics is, is kind of that engineering group that is designing the future, that's building things that nobody's ever built before and is working on, on that level. And then just below that is, is kind of the medical researchers that are discovering things that are going to make our lives healthy and, and more effective. And then below that are the social sciences as we learn how to live together as, as a community. And then below that is the humanities where they study interesting things but he kind of he said below that is the theology kind of on the bottom of that academic ladder one way to define theology would be to say that it is faith seeking understanding but if, if we're going to talk about it in a, in a public way in a public sphere the, the goal of theology, at least according to Wolf, is to be able to articulate what is the good life. What's, what's a life worth living? Because you're going to make a lot of choices. Some of them are going to be very big, fundamental choices that change the course of your life. But you're also going to make a lot of little choices Big choices like profession and call. What are you going to do? Who are you going to marry? How are you going to, where are you going to live? But then small decisions about how do you treat others that are around you and, and what do you do with your life day to day? And, and theology at its best should speak in our public sphere to both of those questions. What is the good life? And, and Volk kind of laments for the sake of his profession that people aren't really asking theologian those, theologians those questions anymore. He kind of says that theologians now are mostly just concerned with history. What did Augustine say about that? What did Aquinas say about that? And in some ways, they've kind of relegated themselves to the spot that they're in. Like I said, that's an inside fight. I don't want to get in an argument with any of the theologians that are at our church, and there are many, so I, don't email me. It's not that big a deal. His point is, is that mass marketing has begun to answer those questions more effectively in our culture than theologians have been able to. When I was a kid, I remember this commercial. I was like 10 or 12 years old, I think the first time I saw it. And it was this bunch of guys and they were out in the woods and it looked like they were kind of at a deer camp and they were sitting around the fire telling stories and eating good food. And, and of course, at the, at the end of that time, they all, they drink beers together and they crack open the beers with that sound and they drink and then they, they look at one another and they say this line. It became kind of the tagline motto for old Milwaukee. They said, it doesn't get any better than this. Old Milwaukee was defining what is the good life. A beer company in a commercial was answering that question. And in some ways, that becomes true. That that might be a great moment, getting out and getting away from all the hustle and bustle, being able to leave stress behind and getting out into nature, getting to experience some, some raw reality with your closest friends. And in that moment after a day of exhaustion where you're, uh, you're, you're resting around a campfire telling stories about other great times you had in your life, that is a great moment. But if you reflect on the answer to that question, it means that the best, the place that it doesn't get any better than, 
It only occurs four or five days a year for most of us, if we're lucky. And what does that say about the other 51 weeks in our year? The king of all marketing, the king of all advertisement is, is, is Coke, with uh, Coca-Cola, uh, who has absolutely convinced the world uh, that sh- happiness is sugar water in your hand. I think if you fast forward now to the last two or three years, I, I think most of us would answer what the good life is, is to, to look internet famous. It's, it's happiness that is photoshopped into the appearance of wealth and beauty and success. But there's a much more insidious answer to that question that's existing right now in our culture, which is that, that happiness, the good life, is insulation. It's the perceived security from that dangerous world out there that, that my money and my, my, my connections can somehow protect me from everything that's dangerous. Theologians, and by extension, the church, we are getting killed in answering the question, what is the good life? And I think most of us have tacitly accepted the answers that the good life is four days of vacation. The good life is sugar water. The good life is photoshopped reality. And so today I want us to reflect what, what word do we have to offer? What word do we have to say? Does Scripture Do our lives have any testimony to the good life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Although we are separated by uh, a lot of miles, we are gathered in your name. And Father, I'm grateful for this time this morning. I'm grateful to be together. I'm grateful to be focused in this moment on your word. And I pray that as we take this brief amount of time to to think and reflect about what you've done in this world through the life of your son, Jesus, that we will go away changed. That we will go away formed into a closer image of your son, Jesus. That we will allow our true selves to be revealed So, Father, to that end, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I may speak your truth and love to these, your people. And together the church says, amen. So I want you to hear again. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn your Bible there. Uh, I want us to hear again that that early song. Paul is probably in chapter 2 quoting one of the earliest Christian hymns. And one of the things I want you to notice as we read it is how, how the poetry takes us from here down to here and then back up to here. Notice what happens in the, the journey of Jesus in this text. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that was above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the good life? N.T. Wright notes that in the ancient world, people um, thought, when they thought of the good life, they thought of two heroic leaders. The first was Alexander the Great, uh, who in the third century, at the age of 20, he consolidates Macedonia. And after he gained that political and military control, he proceeds to conquer basically the known world. And even though he died at 32, he had succeeded to such an extent that the people around him and the culture around him regarded him as divine. If you fast forward it a little bit closer to the first century, there was the Emperor Augustus who put an end to the endless civil Roman war, Roman civil war, and brought peace to the known world. And it wasn't long after that that Roman citizens began to regard him also as divine. And so do you see how subversive. Do you see how countercultural it is in the gospel of Jesus? Because what Christians regard as divine action is very different than the way that the Romans would or that the Greeks might. I think Philippians chapter 2, this hymn that we're focusing on today, is, is probably the best example of the kerygma of Christ. Krigma is, is, is a fancy term, it's a theological term, but basically what it means is it's the big story, the big story of, of, of the gospel. You, I think as we look through the book of Mark and as we look through the gospels, one of the things we saw was that Jesus' life, every step, every moment, every miracle, every word, every breath, is an example of what it looks like when we lean into God's reality. It's the kingdom that God would imagine if, uh, as, as God unfolds that around him. But the Kerygma is, is the big story. It starts from the beginning of time and the fall of humanity and the, the eventual sending of Jesus to redeem us all and his death. Death on a cross. But that's not the end of the story. That's barely the beginning of the story. Because after that moment of death comes the moment of resurrection. It's the Easter celebration that we had four or five-ish weeks ago. It's all running together. I don't even know what I did yesterday for lunch. Um, but, but, but that Easter celebration when God raises the dead, Jesus from the dead, and that promise is he's going to raise us too because Christ was willing to die, because Christ was willing to suffer, because Christ was willing to take off all of the adornment of heaven. God exalts him. And the promise of this song is the promise that every knee in creation is one day going to admit who exactly Jesus is and rejoice and marvel at the power of God. We spend time in worship every week thinking about the nature of God. And sometimes we do this in very explicit ways, and sometimes it's a little more subtle. But this, this song reveals to us two different ways that we understand who God is. And, and at first, it's counterintuitive. This song reveals that the God we serve is the God who kneels. 
It's also the God who abandons, but it's, it's not about the way you think. Our God is the God who kneels. Luke Northworthy gave a great sermon a few years ago. He talked about the God who stoops down. One of the first things I learned when I I became a minister is that when you talk to children at your church, get down on one knee. Get as low as you can to their eye level and really listen to them. Because children live in a world of of giants. It doesn't matter if you're five foot nothing. You're twice as big as as some of the kids that you're going to talk to. And so get down on your knee and listen to them. And show them that you're important. They're important. Show them that what they say matters. Kneeling matters. The king of the universe through whom the entire cosmos was made was willing to suffer. Was willing to be humbled. The sovereign of all creation became obedient. Submissive even to death, even to death on a cross. We serve a God who kneels. We serve a God who surrenders. We serve a God who abandons. The king of glory took off all the adornment, the glory of heaven, and was willing to give up everything. And he was willing to do that for us. We're looking today at the, the, the fourth icon in the pathway. It's, it's the icon of the cross. And I think this is the most fascinating and interesting part of our pathway because it amplifies the rest. As you go through this kind of cycle of imagine yourself walking back through that labyrinth, uh, going back and forth, kind of touching back on the ideas of worship and baptism and table, when you hit cross, what you realize is it makes all of those other places, all of those other pieces more colorful. They smell better. The texture is different. The, The cross amplifies the other pathways and it takes it up to an 11. And I think this part of the pathway is still countercultural in an age where the debate is, is weighing the value of GDP against grandparents about personal rights versus the collective good. Jesus speaks. And I want you to imagine with me just for a moment about a pathway that just ends in baptism, that we, we leave the cross off. That you discover God and you meet some nice people and you you give your life to God and you meet Christ in the waters and then you go back to living whatever sort of pursuit of the good life that you came with. Whether that's formed by sugar water or a four-day vacation or some sort of fake image of who you are, that's where you chase it. That is a vapid Christianity. And it's possible for us to imagine the gospel with no cost or no call or no commitment. And if we've failed to speak into our culture about what the good life is, it is that we have mimicked beer ads and co-commercials to define happiness instead of directing ourselves toward pure joy. If you miss the cross, you miss the gospel. Hear me clearly. If you miss the cross, you can still experience the benefit of table of worship, of baptism. But I don't think you're really going to understand 
who God truly is. I don't think you're going to understand what other people really mean to you. And I'm going to have a very strong suspicion that ultimately you're never going to be able to shed the lies and the false self. You're never really going to know who you are either. The cross amplifies things. Without knowing the, the experience of self-emptying service, you won't know who you are. And this evidence is all around us. Once you begin to imitate and reflect the nature of Jesus, you begin to understand reality at a whole new level. You don't really understand the joy of being known until you have a true friend. Can you think about the time when you experienced a true friend? Someone who loved you just the way you were without any pretense and after a while you were able to kind of become intimate with them? Reveal who you really are at the the most personal level and you were accepted and you were known? Because there's a level of being known that most of us live with that's shallow. But there is true joy when we are known by a friend. There's, There's the joy of being of knowing who you really are when you're being tested or when you're being pushed. Can you think about a time when in your life where you were, you were truly tested? You had something that you wanted to be able to do and you knew you couldn't do it yet and you really had to push yourself. Maybe that was graduating high school and getting into college. You really had to academically work hard to get to that level. And there are times when you're experiencing that sort of thing where, where you encounter pain and you encounter suffering and you encounter hard work and it's, it's difficult for you. And you push through. And you make it to the other side and you realize deep down how real it is. Not to brag, but I'm pretty slow when I run. I'm very slow. But I love to do it. Not to brag, yesterday I had the fastest 5K that I've ever had in my life. I'm not going to tell you how fast it is because you're going to be like, really? That's as quick as you can go? It's been a seven-year process for me, learning to run and learning to love it. And, and here's the secret about running. If you've never done it before, this is the secret. It begins to hurt about 10 seconds in, and then it doesn't hurt, stop hurting until you're done. It just hurts. That's what running is. It's just pain. It's pushing your body, and your body says stop, and you just keep telling yourself no until you're done. And I've been doing this like trying to training program. It's this audio track where you listen to this person talk and encourage you and tell you what to do. And because and I, I run by myself, I can't stand running with anyone else. The reason why is simple. If they're slower than me, then I resent them. If they're faster than me, I resent them. So it's just better for my relationships if I do this on my own. Thank you very much. Anyway, so I'm listening to this audio coach and, and she, she just basically says, all right, today you're going to run and you're not going to stop and I'm going away. I'll see you later. Good luck. I'll see you at the end. And then I'm just supposed to run. And the coach wasn't there in my ear anymore saying, you got this, keep your form. You got this, don't give up. You got this, you're going to feel so good when you're done. You got this, you have reasons why you're running. Do that thing. It was just silence, it was just me. And I could have stopped and walked. Or I could have kept going when it got really hard. And I was by myself. Nobody would have known if I had quit. Nobody would have known if I would kept going. And frankly, other than me, nobody else would care. You experience moments in your life that are incredibly difficult. 
Sometimes it's just like that one choice. Are you going to tell the truth or not and, and deal with the consequences? Other times it is loving someone that is incredibly difficult to love and it doesn't matter how well you love them. They're going to be just as difficult to love the next day. And if you choose to tell the truth or not, nobody may notice. Nobody may care. You choose to love that person or hurt them, nobody else may notice. Nobody else may care. Part of the joy of self-emptying service is to learn to form yourself into the shape of the cross. The mystics called it the cruciform position. Arms out, legs together, eyes straight. It's a place, it's a, it's a, it's a posture of receiving. It's a posture of giving. We lay our lives down so that we can learn what it means to experience the joy of self-emptying service. One of my elders used to say, don't give until it hurts. Give until it feels good. For us here at Highland, part of experiencing walking this pathway is, is the act of offering. It's the act of, of giving. And, and, and I love what, what my old elder said about that because it reshaped what it means to me. We don't give until it, it bothers us or we resent it. We give until it feels good. And there are a hundred different ways that Highland has, has decided to join together as, as a church body to, to, to pour ourselves out, to give in countless ways as individuals serve in their own contexts and relationships to your schools and your jobs and nonprofits. And I know that there's a ton of work that goes out from our people that are happening in other places and we have no idea about it. I love that fact because God's important work is happening all over our city it's not just here at Highland. But Highland has chosen a few particular ways for us to, to kind of lean our weight in together, to push together and serve collectively. We send a significant portion of our financial support to our partners in Southeast Asia and Brazil and Lebanon. We extend our arms in Abilene uh, through works like the Food Pantry and Freedom and Grace and GED mentoring and using Highlands rental properties to help homeless people get off the street, breakfast at Beach Street, foster family ministries, boys and girls clubs, and the kids that come in on Wednesday nights and that are loved by our people. Just recently, we made hundreds of face masks just to give them away for people in Abilene. This happens here, and it happens around the world. Ryan Binkley in, in Chiang Mai sent in this, us this uh, update of how the Chengdoi Church is finding joy in self-emptying service. It's been really encouraging to see how uh, our church has stepped up, and people have really uh, sacrificed and given of their money to help uh, those church members who are in need right now, as we do have many of those. And so I'm thankful for the ways that uh, God is using our church to kind of take care of one another uh, during this time. And it really shows uh, the power and the love of the Christian community. And so I'm glad to be able to experience that. And I've been really impressed with our church because um, we've really poured uh, out a lot to help these families who are hurting. We've partnered with a local restaurant and coffee shop that is owned by one of our church members. And this restaurant has been making uh, over 200 meals a day for free that they've been passing out to those who need them. And they, 
they offer that to anyone who's in need who just feels that they need uh, some assistance. And so our church has been able to uh, give some funds towards that that uh, service, and we've been able to keep that that restaurant uh, going and passing out those free meals uh, every day for over 200 people who need them. And so that's been really a blessing to see the way our church has has seen those opportunities and stepped in and helped uh, as they can. And so. Um, as bad as things has been and as much as, as there is concern here, um, I'm also thankful for kind of the new ways that our church is responding. You see, um, one of the things that you can check out Ryan's uh, video, go to restore the world at highlandchurch.org. Uh, find that drop down menu and you can see the rest of uh, his video. We couldn't show the whole thing here. One of the things he talks about in Chiang Mai, there is um, a serious food scarcity. Uh, and that's just one of the ways that their church responded. And it's important to realize that church is pretty small. Um, there's about 20 to 30 people there at any given time. And they're feeding 200 people a day. You don't have to be holy to engage in this sort of work. You might think that because it's on the last spot of, of the pathway, it's, it's kind of the last one that we get to, that this is for the experts or the veterans. It's really not. Anybody can engage in this sort of behavior, in this sort of, of, of exercise. Um, and, and I think thinking that I've got to get my life straight before I begin serving God might be one of the biggest barriers to encountering the true nature and power of God. I mean, if you've spent any time in Scripture, then you know what a bunch of immature, often selfish, sinful bunch of people that God chooses to work with. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we see this kind of hall of heroes. You can imagine it's a, you're walking through this museum and you see the portraits of all the people, the great figures in faith that did mighty things for God. But if you go back and you read those stories, what you realize is God's willing to use just about anyone. In fact, I think the way holiness happens is it happens on the way. You engage in that self-emptying service. You pour your life out for somebody else. You, you offer yourself up to be used by God in great ways or in small ways, in big ways, in, 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 in seemingly insignificant ways. And as you go, you look more and more, day by day, step by step. You look just a little more like Jesus. And then our pathway takes us back to the beginning. And we find ourselves back in worship, reveling and excited about who God is and what God has done, not just in the past, but in our own lives. So this week, I want, I want to give you three challenges to do. And if you, if you want to check this out, you can go to uh, highlandchurch.org slash pathway, and you can find uh, these three listed there if you, if you lose it right now. The first thing I want you to do this week is to soak. That's one of those great phrases that's come out of our youth uh, ministry. I love that, that term. Uh, I want you to set an alarm this week uh, and read Philippians 2 once a day for five days. And then I want you to soak in it like you'd soak in a tub. Just let that, that word kind of rest in you. Let it kind of wash over you. Reflect on how that passage flourishes in your soul. Imagine that passage like a seed that's getting planted and see what happens when it grows in your heart. 
The second thing I want you to do is to consider the good life. Is there there's something about self-emptying service that is paradoxically filling? And what, what was a moment in your life when you experienced that unique joy? Maybe that's a conversation you can have at, at lunch today or at dinner today or with uh, somebody that's around you. Call them up on the phone. What was a moment when you experienced that paradox of, of pouring yourself out for someone else only to find it has more richly blessed you than you expected? And then how can you do it again? The third exercise, if you're willing to consider it, to engage in it, is to engage. One of the ways we participate in the unfolding kingdom of God here at Highland is is journeying the pathway together. Is there a particular step that you need to take? Is it time to get plugged into one of our Restore Highland groups? Is it it time to give your life to Christ in baptism? Is Is it time to find a place where you can pour yourself out for the sake of someone else? So this week, I want you to make some plans. I want you to take some action. And I want you to commit to exploring what God is doing among us. Because the more I see, the more I I rest in the presence of God, the more I realize how powerfully God is active right now in our church and in our city and in our world. And when you engage in this kind of service, it, it amplifies everything else. It makes the work of God brighter smell better, a better image of what you could do in the kingdom. So this week, find yourself. Discover who you are, not in marketing, but in the good life. In the promise of God, that whatever you lay down for the sake of others is going to be blessed back to you a million times over. May you see the presence of God in suffering. May you see the joy in service. And may you share that word with someone you meet. Island, I'm so glad that we're together. I'm so glad that we get to be here in this time. Because I'm excited for what God's going to do through us and to us. May you be filled with his spirit. May you go in peace.